Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, October 24th, the Jesus Take the Wheel edition. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and host of the podcast Crime Writers On. I live in New Hampshire, and my kids are Henry, who's 18, Teddy, who's 16 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who's 19. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer and editor at Slate and the author of How to Be a Family. I live in Arlington, Virginia, with my kids, Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who is 12. Hi, I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer and a contributor to Slate's parenting column, Karen Feeding, and I'm based in Inglewood, California, along with my daughter, Naima, who's six. Today on the show, we've got a question from a parent wondering how much she should be involved in her daughter's interactions around gender and identity and personal style, plus a question about a very reluctant teen driver. And on Slate Plus, we're talking about navigating the busy and expensive world of extracurricular activities. If you want to hear that conversation, join us on Slate Plus at slate.com slash momanddadplus. But first, it's the time in the show where we make ourselves a little bit vulnerable or just brag a whole lot. It's time for triumphs and fails. Jamila Lemieux, do you have a triumph or fail this week? Well, I was very excited to come in with the triumph, but in the past few hours, uh, I I have racked up yet another fail, and I think this one is, is a bigger fail than my triumph was a win. Um, my daughter, Naima, is sitting across from me in the studio right now because she had, quote-unquote, a headache and a stomach ache, and she has been tardy or absent more times than I'm willing to admit in the new school year, even though uh, it's only October, but her school did start way back August 20th. So we're like halfway through it. Um, I am not going to say she's not feeling well, but I will admit that I am a lot more (laughs) gullible may not be the word, but willing to entertain these sick days than her father is. And I'm feeling guilty about it, but I also, I don't know, like, Sometimes I think kids need a break from school. Sometimes they need mental health days and it may manifest in a little bit of the sniffles or a tummy ache or, you know, something that just doesn't feel right that they can't quite explain. So they just say, well, I'm not feeling well and I don't feel like going. And, you know, I, I think that giving them space to have time off when they need it is the right thing to do. But I also feel bad that she's missed more days from school this school year at her brand new school than a lot of kids have probably missed in a whole school year. So that's my my fail for the day week. That's hmm. hard. I, I agree that that's a hard call to make. And I agree that kids definitely need um, mental health days sometimes. But I'm intrigued that you do you feel like you are more willing to accept this because in the end, you think she really does need these days? Is it because you miss her during the day? Is it because because of the move that you are feeling like a little unbalanced? Like what do you have a sense of what might be behind your more your more ready willingness to take her out? 
I think in the current moment, it's all of the above, you know, um, Mm-hmm. historically i mean th- i've always been the one who's like okay you know not every sniffle not every tummy ache but i but i've always been of the two of us the, the one who's more likely to say okay well let's you know let's just not go as opposed to waiting to get that call at 11 o'clock when your day is you know in full swing from the school and they're saying you know she's not feeling well she's crying can you come get her um but i, I will admit that um I think part of it right now is the feeling unbalanced and just, you know, knowing that she's also feeling unbalanced and, and being sensitive to that. So beyond just missing her and like, yeah, I miss her, but we've been like practically joined at the hip since I got here for the most part. Um, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I know how hard this is on all of us and that that heart, you know, the stress and anxiety and, and newness can, you know, take a real toll on not just the mind and the spirit, but the body too, you know? So I'm, trying to hold space for that but i also saw the little girl who told me that she wasn't feeling well enough to go to school and i can't go to school right now because i'm going to make the other kids sick and i really don't feel good and please 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 you know two hours later we were playing you know we were playing a game in the house she wanted us to pretend that we were college roommates and we were going roller skating and so i'm like well this doesn't really (laughs) (laughs) and she made a whole agenda list for like what you know in in the game what we would do you know since we're college girls and she wrote um roller skating and then podcast twice because i was coming to record this and then i'm going to guest on someone else's podcast after that and then i forgot what the other fun activity was but i was like i think i got scammed and I really hope her dad doesn't listen to the show because mm. I rode for her. You know, he said if she, you know, if it's not a migraine <laughs> or a fever or vomiting or diarrhea, I really think you should send her to school. And I was like, okay, you know, he's right. And I said, Naima, your dad says you should go to school and daddy's right. And then I cr- crumbled. I folded. But I also don't feel like it was quite the wrong thing to do. Is she giving you like the most smug look right now? No, she's pretending that she can't hear any of this because that would be like an admission of guilt. (laughs) Ah. Ah. Yeah. You're also making it fun, you know? Like I... uh I always try to when my kids were little tried to make their days homesick super boring. Yeah, that and was then my um, too. yeah, and then that's how you know when they're really sick because if it's super boring and they're still grateful, like <laughs> just to lie there, then you know, like okay, this is real. <laughs> but if it's super boring and they just think you're going to be like maternal all day and do fun stuff with them, uh, then they probably should have just gone to school. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good point. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What about you, Dan? Do you have a triumph or a fail this week? I also have a fail this week. Uh, It is a particularly sports dad fail. 
Um, so listeners uh, and my co-hosts may or may not be paying attention to this, but the uh, Washington Nationals are in the World Series. Yes, uh, I am paying week. attention. Yes, great, the Walgreens great. Nationals. It's very yes, exciting. Yes, the Walgreens Nationals. That's correct. Um the logos do subtly vary in ways that a trained um, typographer would obviously recognize. Uh, <laughs> They're so, so similar, though. Let's <laughs> be real. <laughs> uh, so let me give a little history on this fail. So way back in um, 1982, the Milwaukee Brewers, my hometown team, made the playoffs for the first time in their history. Um, and my dad took me to two playoff games, to game five of the LCS and then game three of the actual Honest to God World Series. And one of them was a big triumphant Brewers victory, one was a loss, but the environment of the whole thing was just so like totally wild and electrifying that it absolutely just cemented my baseball fandom for the entire rest of my life. Um, and since we moved to Washington, uh, where there is a team that I that I enjoy watching that is not the New York Yankees or the New York Mets, two teams designed to drive people insane. Um, I have done my damnedest to help Harper, like, kind of try and have similar experiences to, like, build her baseball fandom. She really likes playing baseball. She likes watching baseball. She really likes the Nationals. It helped that for many years they had a player, um, Bryce Harper, who we told her was named after her. <laughs> um, but uh, but so we would go to games. We went to playoff games. We went to the – there was uh, this horrible game two in the 2014 playoffs against the Giants, um, which longtime listeners may remember as one of my very first fails on the podcast podcast because we left the game before it was over uh, in the 16th inning at like midnight and then the Nats lost in 18 <laughs> um, and we were there in 2016 when they lost against the Dodgers and we had tickets to those games because for many years I was part of a ticket share like a partial season ticket share with a bunch of other local dads and we would all get like four or five games and we would get rights to buy playoff tickets if they made it to the playoffs which often they did but this year was the first year where I was like, like, I cannot spend all that money. Like, we can't go to that many games. I can't, we can't really afford to like be seeing, you know, eight nationals games in the regular season and pay for all these tickets. So, you know what? When we want to go to a game, I'll just buy the tickets a la carte and that's fine. And we did that. We went to a few uh, as the season went on and the season started out with the Nats being terrible. And then all of a sudden they got better and better and better and better and better and better and better. And then they made the playoffs. And all of a sudden I realized I had like no line on playoff tickets. I had no great mm. way to get them. Um, and uh, in fact, because of my dumb scheduling, I would be, I was actually on book tour for a lot of the playoffs. I missed the, basically the entire first round. So I was on book tour. Um, and then they made the NLCS. And then we were out of town again for game three in DC, which was a very exciting game. Uh, and then we had a conflict for game four. But I thought, you know what? Here's my plan. To get World Series tickets, I got you have to buy NLCS tickets. If you buy those, you get the right to buy World Series tickets. So I'll just buy tickets to game five. And then I will have a line on World Series tickets. Uh, <laughs> and then the Nats swept the series. And there was no game five. So I was fucked. I was completely fucked. And all right now on StubHub, the cheapest tickets for game three are $875 for standing room only, um, which is insane. Like my I asked my dad and he said he spent $50 on each of those tickets in 1982, which mm. was he thought was like a crazy amount of money to spend, but he was willing to do it. But so my fail is that I feel like I'm usually the guy who can find a way to like 
get to stuff to like catch tickets off of friends or to, you know, wake up at 8 a.m. to get online and we're uh, at exactly the right moment or find a Craigslist deal or whatever. But I just have completely failed. Like I've been overwhelmed by the power that is the World Series and Fairweather Nationals fans. Um, and so we're going to watch the games on TV and like animals. I've, like animals, right. But yes, I feel like that's absolutely no substitute for what I should be giving Harper. Like my job as Harper's dad is to get her to a couple of fucking games during this like once in a lifetime epic event <laughs> that she would remember forever. And I'm mm. totally blowing it. I blew like the one job I had uh, as a baseball oh. fan that I've been preparing for for 44 years. So anyways, if anyone has tickets they want to sell me, I'm at dan.poisonsite.com. <laughs> Good call. Good call Thanks. throwing that plug in. How about you, Rebecca? Uh, <laughs> well, I've got a triumph, but once again, it's not mine. Uh, this one goes <laughs> to my stepdaughter, Lily, who always complains that I don't talk about her enough on this podcast. But mostly I don't, to be fair, because I wasn't always sure she'd want me to, except let now that I'm leaving. She's like, you should talk about me on that podcast. Aww. So. There actually is something amazing that she handled herself. She is a sophomore in college. She uh, pledged a sorority last year and got in. And it's one of these like, I don't mind saying it, like it's it's definitely one of the more like uh, frou-frou, like kind of like business oriented sororities. I know they all say that, but this one actually is. Um, and, you know, she just wanted to join to meet some new friends because she had like a not so great roommate situation last year. So she joined this sorority and she was part of this huge pledge class. And before she joined the sorority, they, you know, when they're pledging, they make them sign like a contract about all the stuff they'll do once they're in the sorority. So they basically, as Lily is correctly pointing out now that she's in the situation she's in, they're basically coercing a bunch of kids to, you know, 18 year olds to sign a contract as a condition of like auditioning to get into a thing. So they're agreeing to things that are not like real yet. And they're agreeing to them under like a little bit of duress because, of course, they want to get in. They don't want to be that person who didn't sign the contract or whatever. Right. So here she is in year two. And there is apparently this very gross, terrible sorority house that is owned by the college, but is just like a little bit off campus that the sorority is responsible for keeping at like 90 plus percent occupancy. Otherwise, they'll lose the house. And part of this contract said, if you are called upon to move into the house, you have to do it. And Lily, A, was under duress, as she correctly points out. But B, because her pledge class was so big, there were like, you know, more than double. It was so big that they didn't actually have a pledge class this year. It was like really huge. She was like, this isn't going to be me because there's always going to be people who want to do it and I'm never going to want to do it. So I'm not going to be in this situation. Well, lo and behold, through the magic of attrition and all sorts of weird special circumstances, Lily found herself among a group of three girls that the sorority said, like, we will just pull two of your names to mandatorily fill two spots in the sorority house like you'll have to live there and like living at this place is first of all i'm just gonna say it like as parents who are paying for her to be at this school like we would not be cool with it like we're paying for to have her go to college and like live in a dorm and like be in this like locked you know hallway situation like all the sort of amenities you get with dorm life like that's what we're think we're paying for um but two, like, she really doesn't want to. Like, and she's security. Yeah. And she, but she, like, really doesn't want to. She's like, it's gross. It's dirty. Like, all the girls smoke and I don't smoke. And, like, they just, like, you know, 
they just like do stuff that I'm not super into. They party a lot. They go to like a lot of frat houses. And like, I like these girls and I like being part of the organization, but I'm not really interested in living in this house. So on her own, she decided, she found herself in this situation. She sent some very polite but strongly worded uh, emails, very direct to the heads of the sorority and basically said, here's the problem. All these other people got special exceptions. I didn't get one. But first of all, my parents won't let me do it. So that's just number one. Number two, here are all the reasons why I can't. And number three, after doing a bunch of her own research and finding out that the occupancy rate was different than what the sorority was claiming it was uh, and all these other like little discrepancies like in po- school policy where they couldn't technically force her to do it, she basically said, like, you know, I've been to the Office of Student Housing and I've done this research and they basically have told me, like, I can say no to this and I want to stay in the sorority. It, it's important to me, but I I can't do it and I won't do it. And here's all of the reasons why, like, I'm not going to do it or don't want to do it. So turns out it's like a whole thing. And <laughs> of course, it's like I'll turn into a whole thing. And poor Lily. Well, I don't say poor Lily because she's not poor Lily. She handled this awesome. Yesterday, she was put on trial in her sorority with the charge of unsisterly like conduct. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. So they, she was like basically like going through up against the tribunal and like being sanctioned or whatever. And um, she called us at the end of last week and told us this was happening. And of course, she knows that both of her parents, like we have a true crime podcast, we're true crime authors, we know all about the criminal justice system. We've taught our kids to like not consent to a search and like all those things. She's like very confident going into this thing. Uh, She's like, you know, this is one of those things where I think it might just be in my best interest to let them read me the riot act and just like pay the fine or whatever. And I'm like, well, submitting to the kangaroo court. I don't know. I don't know. I was like, she was like, I have a plan. It's going to be fine. So she calls yesterday. She had her trial. It was fine. They were angry and told her that, like, she shouldn't have, you know, I don't know, conducted her own research or she shouldn't have emailed the head of the sorority with whatever. They just basically said, you are, in fact, guilty of unsisterly like conduct. However, you just need to apologize to the person to whom you wrote the email. And they didn't even like fine her the $20. So she's fine. But the reason this is a triumph, A, is because she did not succumb to the stupid peer pressure to move into the disgusting sorority house, which I would not have been cool with at all, and nor would have her or other two parents. But also that she she told us all about this after the fact. She didn't call us to ask for advice. She didn't like say, what should I do? She was just like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, and then I talked to this person, and let me read you the email I sent, and then I'm going to be on trial. And she just like informed us. And isn't that what we all want? You know, we just want our kids to get to a place where they can, like, be in a situation that is weird and figure it out and then let us know. I mean, they, she gave us the opportunity, of course, to, to tell us, like, you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't do this. But, you know, we didn't because she was handling it fine. But I was really proud of her. And uh, I'm really psyched that she's not moving into that stupid house. That's that's my triumph for the week. So it's not only her triumph. It's also your triumph because <laughs> the true. criminal justice standards and uh, (laughs) lessons that you've taught her really paid off uh, in this actual criminal justice situation. Yes. And sometimes there is a value. I mean, this isn't obviously applicable in every case and not in every community and not with every situation. But she was willing. Like, I was really impressed that she wasn't being like she wasn't saying like, you know, it was a kangaroo court and it, we can look all as, as adults look at this and say it's stupid. But she did actually sign this contract. She did actually make this commitment. She came to regret it later. And she was willing to sort of take the stupid consequences of it and like 
let the chips fall where they may. But she never wavered from her very strong feeling that what they were asking her to do was unfair and wrong. And she brought up on many occasions to the administration and to them that they should look carefully at their policy of making students sign contracts before they are let in, which I think is a really good take on that. Good triumph, Rebecca and Lily. <laughs> Yay, Lily. Got to talk about you on my second yeah. to last show. <laughs> I just I just now learned you existed, Lily. It's amazing. <laughs> I have a question. It, sure. It's like, and I'm in a member, I'm a member of a sorority. I'm a member of an African-American sorority. And it, what most folks know, if they know anything about the difference between us, at, excuse me, and, and other sororities is that it's a lifelong commitment. Um, I actually joined at the graduate level. So I joined after college when I was in my 20s. But I was just curious, like, was she allowed to tell you all that stuff? Like, you should have seen my face the whole time. I was like, what? How does she, how does she even know all these things? Oh, because it's all like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is she still going to be in the sorority? Should I not be saying it on I hope podcast? next week's fail is not like that. Lily is no longer a member of her sorority <laughs> because what I did not know is <laughs> that she violated she the She really violated the sisterly code. I don't code think so. When she said all this. I don't know. I, I, I hope not. Anyway, sorry, Lily. <laughs> you said you wanted to be on the podcast. The price of fame, Lily. That's right. The price of fame. What do we have to get Jamila to tell us her sorority secrets now? Oh, no. <laughs> you will not. You will not. But shout out to Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Uh. I know a few of my sorors listen to the show, so hello. Um, but what I do think... Um, as curious is that they were trying to for I understand that they have to maintain this house and so they have to get some girls in the house but I'd be willing to bet you know especially if they had a large pledge class there's probably at least one or two girls that could actually really use the housing and they may not want to step up and say it because it's so awful mm. but it just doesn't seem like you'd have to force any yeah. college kid into a living space when there's almost always somebody who could use one. It's also very telling that it falls upon the newest pledge class to fill this house. Like, obviously, none of the older kids want to do it because it's terrible. So I, what I said to her was like, they really, I was like, if you ever become in like a leadership role in this thing, you should really look at whether or not it's worth it to keep the stupid house. Yeah, what's essentially the value you have to in doing force that? force people to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, let's do some business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all of our parenting content, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much more. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. Plus, there's some very witty writing by our own Dan Coyce. It's a great newsletter, and you should totally sign up for it. As always, if you have a question you want us to answer on the podcast, leave us a message at 424 424- 255-7833, or you can use what seems to be the preferred method of emailing us at momanddad at slate.com, and your question might get read by the amazing Shasha Leonard. Also, check out our Facebook group. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a really fun community, and we moderate it so it doesn't get out of control. And in Slate Plus today, a question from a parent that many of us have struggled with, how to juggle or whether to even join extracurricular activities with your kids. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for our membership program, Slate Plus. It's a great way to support the show. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the costs of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other Slate shows and lots of other great benefits. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus to join Slate Plus today. Now, Dan, you've got another announcement to make, right? Live show alert. 
We're doing a live show. So we're coming to Miami, Florida. Um, Jamila and I are coming to Miami, Florida. Rebecca quit, so she doesn't get to go to Miami, Florida. <laughs> Sorry. She has to hang out in New Hampshire in November. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be at the Miami Book Fair uh, on November 23rd. The Miami Book Fair, of course, is a is probably the best book festival in the country. Um, thousands of amazing authors uh, come into town, all of them desperate to get out of the cold uh, in late November and get to Florida. Um, but we are doing a free live show at the Miami Book Fair on November 23rd. Jamila and I will be joined by two very special guests, Pamela Paul uh, from the New York Times Book Review and the co-author of How to Raise a Reader, and Adam Mansbach, the author of Go the Fuck to Sleep and its sequel, Fuck, Now There Are Two of You. Uh, This Mm. is a free show. Bring the kids if they like the word fuck uh, or hire a babysitter. (laughs) Either way, we cannot wait to meet all of our Florida listeners. It's going to be so much fun. It is 4 o'clock p.m. Saturday, November 23rd, Miami-Dade College. For tickets and information, go to slate.com slash live. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to make Dan go to the club with me in Miami. I'm definitely going to the club. Oh, yeah. You don't go to Miami without going to the club. All right. Sorry to miss it, guys. We're going to have to get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, it's time for our first listener question. This question was sent by email to momanddad at slate.com. We are the lucky parents of 12-year-old fraternal twin girls. One of them has, from a very early age, preferred to wear her hair short and wear what are traditionally, quote, boy clothes and shoes. It used to bother me, but I learned quickly that it was really just best to support her choices. She should be herself and dress how she feels comfortable. We live in a very progressive town, and she hears positive messages about LGBT. BTQ acceptance both at school and at home. She's very private and has never said anything to us relating to her sexuality. The problem is that she doesn't like, or at least she says she doesn't like, being mistaken for a boy because of the way she dresses. For example, a server at a restaurant will call her, quote, buddy, or, quote, big guy, or some will tell her she is in the wrong public bathroom. I tell her regularly that if she doesn't like people thinking she's a boy, she just needs to tell them. But she doesn't or won't, and she won't discuss why with me. She's often shy around unfamiliar people, so it could just be that. I guess my question is twofold. Should I go back to correcting people for her when I'm around? And second, should I just try hard to get her to talk to either me or a trained therapist about gender identity? Thanks to all three of you, mom of not buddy or big guy. Jamila, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, um, I'll start with the second question. I think it's critical, mom, that you encourage your child to speak to you and a trained professional about um, what she's expressing or, or what she's 
um, experiencing and the discoveries that she's made about herself over the years. Uh, she has every right to be private, um, but she has made it clear that she doesn't like being um, mistaken for a boy and people are misgendering her. So this isn't just a matter of what she's grappling with in her head or her mind or, or you know, trying to come to terms with how um, she wants to orient herself in the world or how she identifies. She's dealing with people making assumptions about her that aren't true. So while she's having this personal journey of, you know, who am I and where do I fit? And I'm not, you know, they are a twin, right? And so for many years, I would imagine, despite them being fraternal twins, there was, you know, this idea that they were going to be very similar and they were going to do things, you know, somewhat the same and, and look alike. And uh, perhaps at one point you dress them alike or, you know, automatically sign them up for the same activities. And I would wager that your two children are on very uh, different journeys right now. And so it's great that you're in a progressive place, uh, thank goodness, and that she hears affirming messages about LGBT identity at home and at school and perhaps with other folks as well. But, um, you know, I, I think everybody should be in therapy. I don't, I don't, I think your other child should be in therapy. You know, your, your daughter may be wondering, well, I expected that I had a twin sister and now, um, you know, I, I'm not as clear on where she or where this person sees themselves. Right. Um, I think that you should continue to correct people. Um, I, you know, I'm inclined to keep saying she mom, but we, I would say it's fair. Um, it, it's fair to say that we're not entirely sure of, of what your child's gender pronouns are. And when I say we, I don't mean just the host of the show, but I mean you, um, because of the decisions that they are making in terms of how they style themselves and how they present. And so that's not to say that you need to rush them into making a decision. You know, are, are you a trans boy? Are you, you know, a masculine girl? What is it? But that you need to be deliberate and intentional about giving them the space to explore and, and, unpack and understand. So start with a trained professional, somebody who has experience with LGBTQ youth in particular. Um, continue to step up when people misgender your child at, at this point. If, you know, she, if your child is saying, I, I want to use she, her pronouns, I want to be addressed as a girl, then make sure that people do that for them. Um, and just without forcing conversation or, or, you know, our constant conversation or, or making them feel more uncomfortable, um, perhaps than they do already, make it clear that you and, and your family are a safe space to talk about what they're feeling in their heart um, and, and who they are and, and what they want to be and what they want out of the world. And that you can have these conversations without judgment, that this isn't a matter of you saying, I think you should do this, or we think you should do that. Or if you're going to dress like a boy, that means that you have to think of yourself as a boy. Um, but that you are on this journey with them and that they are not by themselves. That's really good. I mean, I, I don't have a ton to add to that, except uh, the question that I have here is a question I have with a lot of questions we get uh, from parents is that you are asking us a question that you could also ask your child. I mean, you could ask your child, 
do you want me to speak up? It's clear, you know, you've made it clear that you prefer uh, that people not mistake you for a he and that you are a she and that you want to use the girl's bathroom and that you don't like, do you want me to speak up for you? Is this something you want to handle on your by yourself or does it make you feel better to know that I have your back and want me to speak up on your behalf? I will follow your lead. I'll do what you want me to do. I want uh, everyone to be very clear about how who you are and how we are very supportive of each other. And, you know, just tell me what to do. Let me take the lead here for you if you need it, or you continue to take the lead if you want to. I think it's amazing how empowering it be, can be for kids when their parents ask them a question about how to parent, especially a 12-year-old. She probably has a lot of ideas about what she would like her world to look like and be like and feel like and how her interactions with her family should be. And give her some of that power. Uh, Ask your daughter what you should do in this situation. And I bet you'll get an answer that will help inform the conversation going forward. I would also add to that that I think the other thing you should ask is whether she wants to talk to someone about these issues. Um, I'm not I'm not as inclined, I think, as you, Jamila, to feel like everyone should be in therapy at every time necessarily. Um, and a lot of this letter reads to me like a 12-year-old who has some very normal 12-year-old shyness around adults, but who is seems pretty clear about who she is at this point. She's a girl. She doesn't want people to mistake her for a boy. Um, she knows what she likes to wear and she wears it. Uh, and a mom who is still struggling with some of this stuff, even though she is doing her best and clearly is trying to be as open-minded as she possibly can. Um, and so I don't want to immediately leap to the conclusion that what this kid needs right now is therapy to work out all these issues. Cause I'm, cause I'm not convinced right now that this kid has issues exactly. I think this kid is doing a pretty good job so far of figuring out who she is and how she wants to be addressed and how she wants to be thought of. The problem is that other people aren't doing it. So I'm completely with both of you that if that if after asking her, do you want me to, you know, correct people, which it sort of sounds from the letter like the kid has already made this clear, that the mom should be active in doing so, that the mom should feel free to have her daughter's back and support her and correct people when they misgender her and be like very clear and concise about it and don't make her kid have those conversations if she doesn't want to. You know what a really great inroad to therapy can be for uh, for kids and for families is parents, right? So this parent is saying, you know, she would like to improve communication with her daughter. I mean, she's not saying that explicitly, but that's implied here. There's a lot of privacy. She has a lot of questions. She doesn't know if she should intervene. And if therapy is an option and it's something that you can resource and it's something that is available to you and you think it might benefit your kid, but, you know, you're not sure, one thing you can do is tell your kids, like, I want us to be able to all communicate better. So like this is for our family. Like it's not about you and like the struggles that I see you going through because a 12 year old might not be ready to acknowledge that they need help or they might not understand it. And one kind of great inroad to a therapeutic situation. And we did this with one of our kids and it was really, really helpful was to frame it that way to say like our family uh, could use some help just learning how to talk about things that are difficult. Like sometimes it seems like we get our wires crossed or sometimes it seems like I'm really frustrating to you. Uh, and I'd love for us to just learn how to get over this and 
be better at it. And that's how we kind of got our family into a therapeutic situation. And then ultimately, the kid like decided they wanted to keep doing it for a little while and then decided they didn't. And it was great. It was just sort of a nice progression through like the therapeutic. But it was also it really was about the system. And it wasn't a lie because we did address a lot of that stuff and we did get to a lot of that stuff. And then ultimately it really turned into, uh, you know, my son obviously just saying like, yeah, I really need to talk about stuff and I don't want my mom in the room for that. So bye. Um, I'm not saying it's going to work every time, but it is a good way to start the conversation. If it's something that you would like to try, it doesn't have to be focused on, you know, I think you need help because you know what I mean? Cause that, that can be tricky for kids to acknowledge and face as well. All right. Well, we'd love to hear some follow-up on that. If you think we got it right or if you have something else to add, feel free to comment on the show post on our Facebook group. There's always a lot of really thoughtful discussion there around these issues, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you, our listeners, have to say about this. Our second question this week also came in by email. And it's being read by me. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. What to do with a reluctant driver? My daughter got her learner's permit back in April. She needs to rack up 500 hours behind the wheel and take a road course with an instructor before she can get her permanent license. Six months in, she has five hours of drive time completed. She only wants to drive my car, a compact hatch, the other option is a mid-sized hatch, only wants to drive with her mom and doesn't want to go through any intersection with a traffic light or on a road with a speed limit over 30. This has meant that she only drives around our subdivision once every few weeks. She has anxiety issues that we're working on, but I'm wondering if you have any words of advice or solidarity to help us get her comfortable behind the wheel. Hmm. I have some words of advice and solidarity, (laughs) and those words of advice are, don't make this kid drive. This Hmm. kid does not want to drive. She is not ready to drive. She's not prepared to drive. She's probably a bad driver. And doesn't want to do the practice. And so, like, in I just can't imagine, like, what would make things better for her about making her do her 500 hours behind the wheel. I just think so she'll many hate hours. it. And you'll hate it. That is really a shitload of hours. Good Lord. Um, but, like, <laughs> she'll hate it. 40 for perspective. It, it's 40. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What state is this? I can't. I'm gonna, I don't know. I got to do some research. <laughs> um, but just like she just doesn't seem to want to drive at all. And for the past 16 years, your family has pro- I'm sure has had some hassles around getting her the places that she needs to go. But like you've gotten her where she needs to go and it's been totally fine. And given how uncomfortable she is with it and also given how many accidents 16-year-olds specifically get into, like, why would you want to push it and rush it? I I don't know if there's something I'm not getting here. What am I not getting here? Uh, What you could be not getting is that, you know, there is this kind of like milestone aspect of getting a driver's license, right? And I think the other thing that's happening here, and it depends on obviously where these people live. Like I put a tremendous amount of pressure on all of our kids to get their driver's licenses because you have to drive to get around where we are. Like if you want to get a job, you have to drive. If you want to do anything, you have to drive. We don't have a lot of public transportation options or any public transportation options. Uh, And I also think that there is, you know, a benefit to driving 
that it, it's kind of just sort of about the confidence of being able to do things without having to depend on your parents to take you. But there's other stuff going on here that this writer inner, I don't know if uh, the writer inner is considering. One of the things that's interesting that is just practical is that the daughter wants to drive uh the writer inner's car, which is smaller, I will say smaller cars are far easier to learn to drive on than bigger cars. They are far easier. The spatial relationships and the maneuverability around smaller cars, all of my kids hated our bigger car and love driving our smaller car when they're learning how to drive. So it's just easier. So just that is a that is a reasonable request. It's also a very reasonable request that your daughter wants to drive in low stakes situations. That is incredibly normal. And that is where, if that's what it's going to take to get her to practice, that is where you should focus your driving. Get Definitely her when she's stakes. only five hours in. Yes, those low stakes yeah. situations, like have her do it for the first 250 hours. Who cares? 500 hours is a tremendous amount of time. If she does the first 350 of those hours in below 30 mile per hour low stakes situations before she ventures into areas where there are other cars, she's going to feel a lot better about going into areas where there are other cars. So that's fine. Um, but also a lot of this does sound like it's, it's tied up in anxiety. And a lot of that can also do with the teaching style of the person who's teaching the child to drive. I recommend as often as is possible that somebody who is not a parent teaches a teenager how to drive. And obviously there are some uh, things around, you know, if they ha it has to be a parent because the law's in your state or whatever, that's, you know, different. But I remember learning how to drive uh, with my mom as a teenager and our whole relationship was caught up in that uh, driver education interaction. Like if she gave me a correction or a critique or gave me positive feedback, it was completely laden with all the other bullshit between us. It was not just a simple, hey, you should have made a left back there. Uh, your turn was too wide. It wasn't just that. It was laden with the fact, oh, you never trust anything I'm going to do. Well, you never listen to me. It was always, that was always in the background, even if it was innocuous. So as is possible, as much as is possible, if you have uh, an aunt or an uncle or a friend of the family or someone that can also be a part of the mix-up of um, of the people who are teaching your daughter to drive, that can be tremendously helpful because then she can get some practice in a situation where she, there isn't the, the relationship baggage there, which can be so... Uh, enhanced when there's also a layer of anxiety that you're dealing with because it's not just about, I remember my stepdaughter, Lily, her dad would take her and it was not great. I would take her. It was fine. Her mom would take her. It was a disaster because she was always kind of feeding on the anxiety of the person in the car with her. And I just didn't, I was just like, it's okay. I mean, if you hit something, you hit something. That's what this is for. It's fine. And it was always very chill and relaxed. And those were very productive hours. So if you hit something, hit something. No, I would just, I mean, I think she, she was so worried about mistakes. The only way to get her to stop being worried about it was to tell her that, like, beginning drivers make mistakes. Yeah. And I didn't literally say if you hit a person, it's fine. But, like, if you make a wide turn this time, it's fine. It's totally fine. That is part of practicing to drive is making a wide turn sometimes. That's why the low-stakes situations are good. Uh, and I would really recommend if there's another adult in your life who would be interested in taking your daughter out, even just for an hour, just so that you can get an assessment of her skills from somebody that you trust that isn't one of you that's also bringing all these other worries and concerns and anxiety into the interaction. Or as Dan says, if she says she doesn't want to do it, don't make her do it too soon. I mean, that's there, there really is no upside of that unless uh, you're like me and your kids literally can't do anything unless they have a driver's license. What do you think, Jamila? 
Uh, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I, I think that as the child of a mother who never learned how to drive because she had a bad experience in driver's ed and just kind of let it go forever, um, not driving is not being able to drive can really cramp your style in a lot of ways. It can be incredibly challenging, um, especially when you're traveling and you get a little bit older. I would say allow her, I would encourage her to learn in the way that works best for her. So I'm assuming that she's uh, young enough that she's going to be in the house for a couple more years. She's not going to be the one who gets her driver's license, you know, the, the same school year that she became old enough to qualify for one. That is clear. But I think it would be ideal that she, you know, had one before she finishes high school. And I think that's a fair and reasonable goal that hopefully you all can meet by allowing her to drive in the car that she feels comfortable driving and driving in the part of the community that she feels comfortable driving in. Um, I haven't owned a car in 12 years. And so I haven't driven really in 12 years. And I, I just moved to a place where everyone drives. And I also don't have a valid driver's license because it's been so long since I've had one. I basically have to start over like I'm a kid too. Um, and I have a lot of anxiety about driving on the highways and, and whatever freeways or whatever they're called here in California because they're crazy. And there's a lot of scary places to drive here um, beyond uh, the, the highway and the expressway. Some of the streets are just wild. And so I can't imagine being a teenager and being faced with that anxiety. And because it's largely optional right now, I, I feel her pain and I don't blame her for taking um, such little interest and something that stresses her out. But I do think it would be cool if, you know, she could complete the process while she's in your care, if possible. Um, because what you don't want to happen is that she goes off to college and now she sees the value in having a car. And so she's rushing to get a driver's license. And maybe when she's over 18, she may not require, but I don't know where you all live, 500 hours of, that's a lot. I don't know if maybe that was a typo and it was supposed to be 50 hours because I don't, I know I had to clock in a lot of hours to get my license too, but I don't remember it being in the hundreds. I feel like it was in the dozens, but, um, you know, for her to get to school and then say, okay, I really need to, to get a car to get from point A to point B because I'm in an area where I need to get to certain amenities or for whatever reason, um, you know, she now has this urge and she has no experience, you know, and, and maybe if she's over 18, she can get the license without having all those hours of training. But again, she doesn't have the experience and that wouldn't be a good thing either. So hold her hand through it. And I also agree with Rebecca that it'd be cool for somebody else um, another trusted adult to be part of the process too but I know who it can't be and it's dad because just reading your letter makes me feel like you're probably <laughs> going to stress her out and make her feel even more anxious I can also relate my father was somewhat that way and he was the only one who could teach me to drive because my mother can't drive and I had to learn how to drive in a like what was it a Ford Explorer um, so it, it just, you have a small car take your time learn in the small car don't let dad come all right. Well, now it's time for the part of the podcast where we share something we like, something our kids like, or something the whole family likes. Yes, it's that time again. It's time for recommendations. And since I am still glowing in all of the solidarity and praise I have gotten for my fall as fuck recommendation last week, 
in our Facebook group. <laughs> I'm just going to give my recommendation first. That's really quick. Uh, I have just fallen in love with this super dumb game app called Wordscapes, which my son Teddy was playing mindlessly on the couch last week. And I was like, what's that? And then I downloaded it and I started playing it. It's really fun. It's very easy. It's basically like a word scramble game. They give you a set of letters. It starts at an easy level of four letters and then five letters in a circle. And then it's kind of like Boggle where you swipe your finger to make as many words as you can uh, out of those five letters, except that it also fills in a puzzle as you do it. And it gives you extra credit for the words you find that are not in the puzzle, which I like. I love extra credit. It's very incentivizing for me. So the way that I play the game now, is I look for all the words that I think are unlikely to be in the puzzle. Um, the only downside to this game is that, of course, it has those pop-up ads if you don't buy the paid version, but also that it does not recognize many of the two-letter Scrabble words that we have all learned as ways to use our Z's and X's and so forth. It does no not recognize za. those words. No za. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. So, but the game is called Wordscapes, and I'm really enjoying it. Dan, do you have a recommendation for us? I do. Uh, I'm going to recommend a seltzer. Uh, mm. I'm recommending Trader Joe's Lemon and Ginger Seltzer. So, uh, you know, Trader Joe's sells lots of different things that they make or license other people to make specifically for them. Um, and we drink a lot of fizzy beverages in our family. Of course, everyone knows that I drink 7 to 25 gallons of Diet Coke a day. But I also l enjoy a seltzer from time to time. Um, and this is my current favorite seltzer. It is lemon and ginger flavored. And here, here are the two reasons I love it. The first reason I love it is that the the flavor is just like really great and potent and you can really taste the ginger. The second reason I love it is because you can really taste the ginger. It's the only seltzer in the refrigerator that Harper will not steal and drink. She <laughs> oh. thinks it's too strong. It tastes too yes. much like ginger for her. So yes. of all the different seltzers, the spin drifts, the, well, the Harris Teeter brand, yeah, all those. Every single one, she steals them all and I never get them. But Her but Trader Joe, Lemon and Ginger, she does not steal. It is a seltzer for adults, not adult seltzer. That's different. That's alcoholic. This is not. Anyways, it's great. That's my recommendation. And you know it's for adults because an adult had to go navigate the stupid Trader Joe's parking oh lot to God. go buy it. And we all know what that's like. That's correct. <laughs> that's what's keeping that girl from learning to drive is one experience in a Trader Joe's parking lot. Don't do Jamila, it. Jamila, what do you have to recommend? I just add, you know, one great thing about, well, not great, but one thing about New York, uh, no one drives, really. So there are no parking lots for Trader Joe's. So the, conf the, the congestion and stress that other people <laughs> in other cities experience in the Trader Joe's parking lot, we get it in the store or we got it in the store. I, I still seem to right. get those. It's crazy. So you, you have in to shop. Line. You have to literally shop. And then shop in trying the to line. figure out how you're getting all the seltzer you bought home, home to your apartment. Right. You have to. And if there's no service in there. Yeah. I think they used to be in suburban neighborhoods they use the parking lot as like a, a governor like that's how they keep the store from being too crowded because i just drive by i'm like i'm not doing that today i'll go tomorrow <laughs> right. and see i'd have to get out the, the off the bus or out of the uber and physically walk in to say okay i'm not doing this today i'm coming back another day which is <laughs> what happened eight times out of ten i attempted to shop at trader joe's which i love advertise with us and send us next um okay i would like to recommend having a colorful home so we recently moved into a new apartment. We are still getting settled. All of our stuff hasn't been delivered yet, but we are painting every room. 
And this is the first time I've put forth this much effort in an apartment in many years, partially because the first time I painted a place of my own, I was really excited about it. And I, I think I was like renting a room in a house, but I painted that room and I did it all by myself and it was very pretty. And then I like succumbed to like some crazy New York landlord drama where it turned out that the person I was paying didn't actually own the house and I had to like move out very abruptly. And so ever since then, I feel like I haven't really made my homes feel super homey, you know? And at the last one, it was like, okay, I put effort and energy into Naima's room, but it was still white, you know? Pretty much every room in the house was white when we got in, we just kept it there. And so now she's got a bubblegum pink bedroom and I've got like a deep dark wine colored bedroom and our uh, bathrooms are like teal and dark blue and it's just may I don't know like maybe I'm having my first suburb experience like I'm not putting all my energy into being at a bar or us like going to a museum or something I actually am (laughs) investing in the place where we live it's usually been like a place to drop off our book bags and and go and I'm like oh what if we cared about this place and and really made it our own, but specifically having (laughs) colorful rooms, just how it's changed. And I went online and I read about color, you know, I kind of, it's pretty intuitive. You kind of know, you know, that the blue is calming and purple can be relaxing and then red can raise your blood pressure. But I spent a lot of time thinking about what color each room would be. And already, even with us still living partially out of boxes, not having everything there, and the couch is like not yet been assembled. So it's just in pieces on the living room floor, just waiting. But even with that, I just feel so energized and renewed and and just inspired by seeing these bright colors every day. So I would suggest to anyone who's in a position to give their home uh, a, a facelift, or if you're planning to transition into a new home, consider painting it lots of colors different color for every room Mm. it's like sesame street i love this recommendation it's a fantastic recommendation Um, we are also subscribers to this theory such that while we were away on our trip we had after so we had someone rented our house for most of the time that we were gone but they they left at the beginning of december and so while we were still gone while the house was completely empty we from from kansas got painters to come paint our house colors that we chose off websites just just on the basis that we were like you know what we like this color and we're giving it a shot and the our living room and dining room were painted a yellow so bright and vivid that when our neighbor came over to like check on things she texted us was this on purpose it looks like you live in the middle of a phone book uh but it looks so great i love i totally love it great recommendation Fantastic recommendation. I think also just, you know, it, it's really wonderful that you love where you live and you're making like making it a more wonderful place to live by putting a stamp on it. There's it's a, it's a good, a good, good vibey feeling around that. I really like it. It is a good feeling. And that does it for today's show. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the podcast, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at slate.com and join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and for Dan Coyce and Jamila Lemieux, it was really nice talking to you this week. Thanks. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.